0: As I read from God's word, the book of Revelation, chapter 13, we will continue in our series there as we behold these terrifying, glorious, and encouraging visions of Christ's rule and reign on earth and the implications of his rule and reign upon the dragon, upon the beast, upon the church. I'll begin reading in verse 1 of Romans, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 13. I listen as I read and follow along if you have a copy of God's word. Then I, John, or some would even say the beast stood on the sand of the sea. And I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and 10 horns, and on his horns 10 crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion, the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast, so they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, His tabernacle and those who dwell in heaven, it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Thus far, the reading of God's word, you may be seated. Let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of God's holy word. Lord, as we come to you this morning, we would ask that you might instruct and inform us, not only that we may have an understanding of your word as to what it says, but that you, by your spirit, As we plead with you to transform us, to make us more like yourself, to aid us in the putting to death of our sinful deeds and desires that we might lead a godly life. All this, Lord, because we desire to share in the glory and the spoils of your victory so that we might one day see you as you are face to face. That our faith might become sight. But that day is not yet for us. And so we ask, O Lord, that you might preserve and hold fast to us. Lord, give us then every confidence as we labor in war against the beast, that our names are there written in your glorious book of life. And so confirm our share, O Lord. In your glorious kingdom, we ask all of this in your name. Amen. So I have a confession to make. Um, <laughs> some of you may go, oh no. <laughs> it's not that bad. I I feel a, a bit of discomfort because I know that as I'm moving through the book of Revelation, it feels like my volume is getting louder and my tone is getting, maybe the word would be shrill. It's excitement, but when you have sort of a higher register voice like mine, it comes across as shrill. I want you to know I'm not angry with you. I'm not fussing at any of you. I'm just very excited. But I'm also a little bit upset because uh, much of what is revealed to us in the book of Revelation is the why of why we do anything. Um, and for years, I was told the reason why you pursue a godly life is so that you can simply be godly. The way I express that is, what are we getting dressed up for? It's one thing to put on the full armor of God, but the armor of God is not a tux where you go to fam- you know, parties of famous people. It's, it's meant to get bloodied. It's meant to wear into battle. And what Revelation reveals to us is what we are getting dressed up for because it presents to us a God, a Messiah, a lamb who though seated upon the throne has gone to war for us and has conquered Satan. That is what we read of in Revelation chapter 12. Satan has been thrown out of heaven. His dwelling place now is on earth. And so he no longer stands before the throne as we see in the Old Testament, like in the book of Job, where he comes to God in order to draw the heart of Job away and to afflict him as a more effective, more powerful enemy. Through Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, Satan's power is greatly limited. But we still do power. And the way in which Satan wages war is through similar means by which Christ wages war. Through means, through operatives, through servants, through angels. But all of that by dark and wretched design. And if we know, first, that Christ has risen and ascended and now sits at the seat of all authority, that is our great hope. That is our great foundational principle with which we go out so that when Luther says one little word shall fail Satan, that word is Christ. That's it. And so in those moments of despair and darkness and doubt, in those moments of great strife, even against unbelief, Christ is all our hope and he is our grounds. But Satan is active. And that adage, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled is to convince us that he does not exist, that is a principle that is alive and well in the world. And the church has often fallen prey to that lie. That the problems that afflict men are not spiritual, they're physical in nature, and those they can be solved by mere men. But brothers and sisters, what stands before us today in the pursuit of the building of the kingdom and the work of the church is war, it is battle, it is a conflict for the ages. And here we see this conflict personified, if you will, in the beast, in his attacks against the church. What does this mean here? What does it mean for us today? Two points that I want to make. The first, the call to worship the beast. The call to worship the beast, and second, the patient and faith of the saints. Now, those points might not be abundantly clear now, but I will hope to make them clear. What I mean by them as they stand in contrast to one another. Let's look at the first point, the call to worship the beast. Now, I get this point from verse 4, who is like the beast, who is able to make war with him. This is where Satan wants to get you as it relates to your profession. Now let's go back. Verse 1. Then I, now some commentators say that this word here, I, is not I as in John, but some may even say it actually refers to the beast. That the beast has risen up out of the sea. That's sort of neither here nor there. But the point is the beast has risen up out of the sea. Now in chapter 10 verse 5, Christ stands upon the sea and he stands upon the shore. He stands upon the sea and the land and it represents symbolically his ruling and reigning over the Jews and the Gentiles. Christ is in charge of all of this. We see this in chapter 10, let us not forget. And so when we see the beast in chapter one of or chapter 13, verse 1, the beast comes out of the sea that stands for the Gentiles. And so this beast is of Gentile lineage. What's more, as it relates to the characteristics of this beast, he has seven heads and ten horns, and those ten horns, ten crowns, crowns and he speaks forth blasphemies now if you are a first century israelite it would have been abundantly clear to you on the face of it who this beast is it is less clear to us for two reasons this happened a long time ago this happened almost two thousand years ago and it's hard for us to know even what happened two years ago you know what i mean it's been a tumultuous two years do you know what i'm saying or 20 years ago or 200 years ago. This is ancient history as far as we are concerned. I've said this already as it relates to the seven heads. This symbolism is used elsewhere earlier in the book of Revelation, and I would posit this. It relates to the seven emperors beginning with Julius Caesar, ending later. And in this line of emperors, of which there are seven, in addition to that, Rome was known as the Empire of Seven Hills, like the Windy City. What is Gastonia known for? The textile capital. Not anymore. (laughs) Rome was the nation of Seven Hills. And beginning with Julius Caesar, moving forward all the way to Galba, who was the emperor who took over after Nero, after Nero in fact Was forced to commit suicide three and a half years after he came to power. What began to be instituted in that reign of these emperors was that of emperor worship. And emperor worship began in this way Rome would say, You can practice your religions, but you must pay homage to the emperor as some kind of other, a demigod, a celebrity if you will. In fact, the more you study Rome and the contours of the way the Bible speaks of the nations of this world, you begin to realize something. Though you may be a preterist or a partial preterist, that's a fancy word for how you interpret the book of Revelation, when these things were uh, fulfilled, and I would posit that in Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 10, this is about the Roman Empire and the persecution of the early church up until the time of Nero, You may disagree with that, and I'm okay with that. It also does have themes that are cyclical that relate to how all nations who are ruled by wicked men relate to and treat the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or any who would say, yeah, I'm not comfortable with that, Caesar. I'm not going to offer a pinch of incense. I'm not going to compromise. Christ is king. That is my creed. There is no king but Christ This is the creed. And so what happens is Satan grants to Rome and those wicked men who are in authority within Rome, beginning with Julius Caesar. And we know what happens to him and the emperors who followed. They went to war with the church. And they did so by calling the church to worship Rome. There's a word for this. It's called statism. And statism is nothing new. This is the religion of Babel. It is whenever there's a group of people who get together and they look at one another and say, man is the measure of all things. And so in Genesis, we see this happening. When man gets together at the Tower of Babel, they turn to one another and they say, let's build a tower and make a name for ourselves. This is the demos, in democracy this is the rule of the people for the people and it is an ancient it is a it is a sinful reflex against the rightful authority of christ himself and so rome comes up out of this place this sea of gentiles and they begin to rule on behalf of the serpent the dragon who is satan one of the great redemptive historical correlates in history is that of Egypt. And in Egypt, Israel languished for 400 years. And Egypt persecuted Israel to the point that they began to put to death the firstborn sons of the Hebrew wives and women. And the Pharaoh, the leader of that nation himself, was the incarnation of God. God. And so stood apart, stood apart from Yahweh as the one who calls himself ruler of heaven and earth. And so when Moses and Aaron went to Egypt and they said to the Pharaoh, let my people go, this was a direct assault against the authority of Pharaoh. Who did those Jews belong to in the minds of Pharaoh? Those aren't your people, Yahweh. Those are my people. And so, plague after plague, what God was doing was dismantling the gods of Egypt. These visible judgments of God were manifestations, sort of ironic humiliations of the gods of Egypt. The way we know this, the way we know of God's design, is that uh, the god of fertility which is the frog or which was represented by the frog one of the curses was what i'm gonna give you frogs and there were so many frogs what was god saying i am the god who brings forth life and then he turned the nile to blood i'm the one who takes life away the nile was that source of life for the nation and so when we look at that story that true historical account wherein God humiliates that beast of the Old Testament, what he is showing is this, I am the only true God. Now the reason I say all that is this, you and I live in a world where the principalities and powers conflict, that spiritual conflict, spills over into what we see, into our daily lives. It is not the product of accident or mere human action. It is by God's design and by Satan's design. And the whole purpose of the beast is to wield power. Let's look at verse 2. Now the beast which I saw is like a leopard, feet of a bear, mouth of a lion, and the dragon, who is Satan, the serpent, gave him his power. And so these wicked, wretched, God-hating, Satan-worshiping emperors of Rome derive their authority ultimately from the devil. Now, all of that authority is under God. We know this. This has already been said in the book of Revelation. God allows these things to happen for his designs, and many of those designs and the purpose of those designs are hidden to us. But we know all of this because God allows it to happen. And here, the dragon gives to the beast great power. And I saw in one of his heads a head that had been mortally wounded. I would say that this is Nero. Nero reigned for a short period of time, three and a half years, and he was forced to commit suicide. That wound was healed, which I would say represents the taking of the throne by Galba. Soon after, Galba were two new emperors, And then there was one general who ruled and brought glory back to Rome. Look at what we read. And the world marveled and followed the beast because the wound was healed. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Who is like the beast? Now, this is a doxological question. Doxological is just a fancy word that means worship. When we sing the doxology, we fill our mouths with words of proper theology befitting the only true God of heaven and earth. We praise our triune Lord. Praise him, right? Right? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him, ye above heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. What the beast wants is for you to sing this song about him. He wants you to pledge your heart to him. Now, who is the beast? It's just a country, right? It's just a man. Except, what force is at work when any man calls upon you to worship him like a god? Who is actually behind that design? Who is the one who seeks to draw your heart away from the true and living God? It's not a party, it's the devil. In fact, this is the beginning, this is the sin from the beginning. It was to trade the affections and the worship of man directed rightly to God and placed upon himself. When Satan was at the tree, of which we read in Revelation chapter 12, Satan is the serpent at the tree. He does not come to the woman and say, worship me. He says what? Satisfy the longings of your flesh. That's all he has to do is to instill in you a song that is not of worship, not directed to your creator, but to the creation. And then you're lost. You're gone. And those temptations, dear saints, are often so subtle, and they come in such small stages that by the end of Satan's designs, you have realized you are singing a song to someone you should not be singing to. You have ceased to worship. You have given over your hearts, not to God, but to something or someone else. And so what began with Julius Caesar, which was, we just want you to be faithful to the nation of Rome, by the time of Nero became what? You must worship the emperor as a god. And if you do not, what would Nero do? He would take those who were true to the cause of Christ, he would dip them in tar, and then he would light them on fire in order to light his gardens so that he could have parties. Let me give you a modern-day correlation to that. When New York posted or passed the law for nine-month abortions, they lit the Empire State Building pink. A torch set to what? To demonic, satanic understanding of the value of human life. My point is this. Though the beast in Revelation 13 represents the nation of Rome, there have been many beasts since and there will continue to be beasts as it relates to the war of the church and the building of the kingdom. Satan is not done and neither should we be. And what the the beast wants you to do is this. Ultimately, he wants to draw your heart, your affections, away from singing, not, who is like the Lord our God, Psalm 113, but who is like the beast. Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Now, this is expressed in false religions, But here, as it relates to the beast, it is an expression of one's confidence in the collective of human power. There are both enemies, these two enemies, the Antichrist and the beast. One is the sort of theological liberalism that discounts the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The other is the wielding of national power in order to force and to stop the worship of the saints. It's somewhat timely, right? And it's not just timely. We're looking at this right now, dead in the eyes in the West. But many nations for many centuries have dealt with this problem. In fact, at one point in the time of the Reformation, the whole nation of the Netherlands was excommunicated and sentenced to death by the Roman Catholic Church. For what? For daring not to worship as they said you must worship. for, For asking for copies of the scriptures where they could in their own tongue reveal the true and risen Christ. What will you do is the question. When the beast goes to war. When he wants not simply your tax but your tithe. What is a tithe? It's not a tax. It's an expression of pious devotion to the God of heaven and earth. And when the tax becomes a tithe, what is evidenced? That the beast doesn't just want you to help him build roads, he wants you to pave the way for his exhaustive authority over every facet of your life. It is an unholy call to worship. That is what the beast is calling for. It's a song. It's beautiful. But it is a way that leads to death. Now, this unholy call to worship, this call to what I would just call Satanism, is not merely about upside down crosses and pentagrams, black eyeliner, you know what I mean? Hot topic style. That's just kids playing rebellion against their parents, which is demonic, and you ought not to rebel against your parents, kids. It's the sin of witchcraft, right? To overthrow divine authority is a very, very bad idea. But a lot of that is just Halloween every day of the week. What Satan wants from men is their hearts. And Satan knows, as a sinner, as a rebel, exactly how to entice your heart and how does he do it he's a marketing genius he knows exactly how to draw you in and what is the great promise of the beast prior to his growing angry with you the beast doesn't threaten in the beginning what does he offer i'll make you safe just trust in me listen to what i'm saying and you will be safe Come to me, all who are weary laden, and I will give you rest. This is the promise. This is what Lady Folly offers in the book of Proverbs, right? You have Lady Folly on one end of the street, and her way leads to death and hell, and you have Lady Wisdom, and they're both beautiful, they both sing very well, but inside one of those homes is the gateway to hell, and inside the other what? The gateway to eternal life. But they look the same and this is why Solomon is writing the book of Proverbs, so that you can decide, as you look at the kinds of things they're promising, which is the genuine article and which is in fact not the genuine article. The false promise, the way that leads to death. And it is all about the object of the song. If the object of your song is not the risen Christ, then it is the song of the beast. And you ought not sing it. I'm speaking metaphorically there. Your life ought not be devoted to. Now, the way it often happened in ancient times when it related to the Roman Empire was this Listen, guys, we don't want to come into your house and break your legs. We just want you to do what we tell you to. We're going to fine you. But if that doesn't work, we'll probably put you in prison. And you know what? If that doesn't work, we'll probably just go ahead and kill your wife and children. These are the stages of it, right? This is the the way in which the war is, is sort of, it moves in terms of its seriousness. It did not begin with all out conflict, it began with things will be better for you if you just do what we say. And it is very easy when someone says to you, Just a pinch of incense. That's all we're asking. This is how the beast wages war. It begins with what feels like good offers. Offers of safety. Offers of peace. And we need to know how the devil works. And we must not fall prey. Because the Pied Piper is going to lead you off the cliff. That is the end, in fact. And in fact, for those who did not listen, for those who refused to say, who is like the beast, who is able to make war with him, this expression of humility and fear, didn't we just sing? If we fear the Lord, there is no one else to fear. He wants you to be afraid. But if that doesn't happen, what comes next? Look at verse 5. And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. He was given authority to continue for 42 months. This is Nero. He opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. All right. Second point, the patience and faith of the saints. Hang with me. Here the beast makes war. And the beast makes war the same way every time. What he does is he comes forth and he diminishes the glory and the honor of the name of God. When Satan came to Adam and to his wife at the tree, those blasphemies were not violent blasphemies. They were subversive. They questioned the authority and the good name of God. And in those questions, Satan blasphemed and made blasphemers. Children, just saying bad words about the name of God, that isn't all there is to blaspheming. There is also doubting the power, the work, the sufficiency of Christ's redeeming work. All of that is blasphemy. And so what the beast does is he comes in with these blasphemies, and for three and a half months, he endeavors to overthrow the name, verse 6, the house, And all who dwell within the house of God. He wants to set up in the place of true religion, false religion. What is this? This is a state church where Caesar sits at the head. That's all you need. All you need in order. Now, this is a political figure taking the throne, not a religious figure. This is why he's called the beast and not the antichrist. But when a political figure endeavors to sit upon the throne of heaven and earth, he blasphemes the name of God because he says what? I am the only king. It should cause some fear for any of us Whenever you see people trying to centralize human authority, first of all... Now, this isn't a sermon about political authority, but whenever you see your pastor and your elders, and they don't listen to you anymore, and they begin to make decisions, and they begin to sort of sit too high, you need to say, you guys need to settle down a little bit. But fathers are capable of this too, right? All men are capable of this. It is the tendency of the human heart ever since the fall, which is the what? to subvert the authority of God and to place ourselves upon the throne. Now, the problem here is the systematic, large-scale nature of it because it's happening in Rome. And he then makes war with the saints so that he might overcome them. And the authority of this man was over every tribe, tongue, and nation. That language is familiar, isn't it? Satan's goal... ...is to rule the nations. What has been promised to Christ is what? To rule the nations. Satan's objective and Christ's objective are the same. That means your objective... ...as a saint who worships Christ... ...is for Christ to rule over the nations... ...and is therefore in direct contrast to what Satan wants... And so if you in your heart and in your actions are endeavoring to take dominion of the earth, which you should be doing, through the word of God that changes the hearts of men, women, and children, who is going to come against you? The sleeping churches are no threat. But the church that is alive and awake and moving and acting and laboring and refuses to sing the song of the beast, it is that church that the beast goes to war with. So, my first point of application is this never stop singing. Men don't stop singing. Don't be sung to. Don't be lulled into false confidence by the songs of this world. Don't sing the songs of these secular Nashville songwriters that don't sing to Jesus. Open your Bible and sing the Word. Read the Word. Proclaim the Word. Let the Word abide in your heart because that is the very thing that will give us patience and faith because it is there that we read this. Though the war is great, all who dwell on the earth will worship Him. That's a lot of people except those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. There will be those whom Christ has laid hold of, who refuse to worship the beast. And the evidence of that is they do not sing the song of the beast. They sing the song of the lamb. And there are times when we sing, and no one cares, it seems, what we're singing. At least it feels that way. But then there are times where the beast has amassed power and there will be those who come and they say, you can't do this right now for your safety. Hmm. It's interesting. And there are a lot of churches that say, okay, whatever you say. Whatever you say. Now, there are times, and rightly so, where safety is a concern. But we must not miss the plot. There is no taming the beast. Do you know what I mean by that? I remember hearing the story of a man who had a tiger for a pet. A tiger tiger. Not a domesticated cat. A long distant cousin of a tiger. And this tiger was his dear friend. And he would often say to his critics, no, this tiger is tame. And then one night while he was asleep, the tiger began to lick this wound on his arm. And that wound began to bleed. And then all of a sudden the tiger thought, meat, and he proceeded to eat the man's arm and then proceeded to eat the rest of the man. There is no truce with the institutions that seek the demise of the Christian church. Now what I mean by that is this, that there are those who have been given power for a time who seek the demise of the Christian church And the easiest path to peace is this great temptation. Just stop worshiping, please. Just stop. Don't sing the name of Jesus. Don't you just sort of sing the songs, these songs that are approved by the Health and Safety Board. Sing these songs instead. You know those songs? You've seen those songs where the children in North Korea gather together and they sing of the glory of the great emperor who will come who's come down it's often amazing the wedding of religious and political imagery isn't it avoid that at all costs there is no taming the beast there is no peace to be made for those who are faithful there is but what there is but war there is captivity verse 9 there is the sword verse 10 Actually, those are both in verse 10. The rising of the beast represents conflict between the church and all of those in power who do not seek the glory of God, but are used by Satan to bring an end to the worship and the growth of the, of, of the church of Christ. And so the song that we sing, this song of doxology is not only for times of peace, But they are often to be sung on the very battle lines between good and evil. Once you refuse to sing about the beast, the beast will hound you. He'll track you. He'll examine your search history. He'll try to know everything about you. He'll ask you why you're not singing or why you're not singing happily enough. But for those Jews and Gentiles... Who dwelt upon the earth and also had their names written in the book of life. They did not sing. And it was these that he went to war with. You cannot sing unto the Lord and not make enemies of the beast. Our song is a song that has been sung many times in this book already. Chapter 11. We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. And time and again, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Chapter 5 Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Get your songs. From God. And I don't mean just from his word. I mean, let what God has shown you be the the means by which, the energy, the motivation by which you sing. And so how does John end this little section here? If you can hear this, this is his way of saying, listen up, pay close attention. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. The devil knows his time is short. Do you? The devil knows that his war will cease. Do you? If the choice is to sing the song of the beast or the song of the lamb, if it is to recant or die, what will you choose? Because what does Christ do? He turns the aggressions of the beast upon the beast. Let me ask you this question. Where is Rome? Where are they? When's the last time Caesar came to your door? Now, there may be another Caesar, but he too shall end. His reign will come to an end. And in fact, these three and a half years, who determines the number of years, the allotment of time, that the beast was allowed to run in terror, to reign with terror? It was not Satan. It was Christ himself. And so John says here at the end, here is the patience and faith of the saints. Our patience, our faith, is not groundless. It is grounded upon what? The beast is going to lose. And the saints will win. Because Christ has been raised. And we too will be raised with him. Let's pray.